I, I gave a talk on uh, something I called an MVR, monthly value review. I just made it up basically, but it was essentially creating like a, a notion document, like kind of template that you sent to the customer every month to remind them like when the renewal is, what the general sentiment is, what their goals are, what the progress is to those goals. You're basically just continuously communicating value to the customer every month. So they're reminded that you're providing them value, uh, which I think is a good starting point of trying to shrink it down from like quarterly to, to monthly. Hi, I'm Ted Blosser, CEO and co-founder of WorkRamp, where we're redefining the corporate learning space with the world's first all-in-one learning cloud for employee and customer learning. Welcome to the Learn Podcast, where we learn from the biggest leaders in SaaS and hear what makes them successful. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Learn With Podcast. We have Jamie Davidson, CEO of Vitally, on here with us today. We actually here at WorkRamp are deploying Vitally. I was joking with Jamie. It's now the solution of all things CS internally. <laughs> so big expectations, Jamie. But Jamie, thanks it. for being on the podcast. Appreciate you taking the time out today. Let's get kicked off with, let's get an overview of yourself, a little bit about your career, and then we'll jump into the meat of it. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jamie, CEO, co-founder of Vitaly. Uh, Vitaly is a customer success platform for B2B SaaS companies such as yourself. Uh, I've been in startups for 12 years, been a, a CTO of two startups before this. Um, one of those I was a co-founder of and, and Vitaly actually spun out of that experience because at that company, even though I was CTO for three years, I actually hard pivoted into customer success. I walked in one day CTO, walked out chief customer officer at that company. It was a company called PathGather, uh, built customer success from scratch at that company and, and got really inundated in the world of customer success and decided to to build a platform I wanted all along at that, you know, as, as CTO of that company. And so here we are. That's awesome. You know, I, I had in my uh, research notes, Pathgather, because it's, mm -hmm. it's in a similar category as WorkRamp. Yeah. It's an LXP category. Tell me a little about that journey. What was, what was that yeah. like at Pathgather and the exit? I don't know if you were, I think you were still there in the exit time uh, to degree or close, right? I left actually, yeah. So I mean, Pathgather, I think is... It, is, is pretty much just one with degree now, and now it's just degree. But uh, yeah, Pathgather was a, it was kind of a social take on the learning management system. Um, we got started right at the like, sort of like when MOOCs were exploding, like Coursera, edX, all these like companies were getting, you know, huge and on education online was, was becoming very popular. And we were looking to kind of bring that world and that passion into uh, the corporate world uh, where Historically, it's been really training and like regulation focused. Uh, we were wanting to bring more of a continuous education spin uh, on on uh, professional education, and so uh, yeah, we we built like kind of a platform that layered on top of your traditional LMS and and brought you content from Coursera, from edX, from those like those direct party providers into one place. But uh, I left in two thousand and right at the end of two thousand sixteen, and I think the acquisition was uh, like the early summer of 2017. So it was after I'd actually left. Cool. Cool. Well, well, I'm glad uh, you landed at Vitaly and started or started Vitaly. Um, mm -hmm. And I, what I was thinking we could do today is actually, I think a lot of customers look to you and your platform and your team for best practices on the customer journey. So what I'd love to do today is actually walk through the customer journey and talk about each key portion and get your opinions on each. Uh, what are the best practices around each? Do you have any strong opinions that maybe go against the grain? 
So anything you want to bring up here would be great. And so I thought the first part of the journey we could start on is around onboarding. So tell us a little bit more around your opinions on customer onboarding, uh, best practices, whatever you want to actually start with there. Um, Well, I mean, like uh, I think it's increasing popularity that teams are having dedicated individuals handle onboarding and then the ongoing relationship post onboarding. So you have to get implementation specialist or solution architect handle the onboarding side of it and then a CSM handle, you know, post onboarding, which I think makes sense. If you can find people to do it all, that's great, but it's increasingly rare. I think, um, I mean, the, the two most important things I think that you're right in the onboarding process is where the customer's goals and ensuring that you want to have recommendations on sometimes what their goals should be, but also of course, listen to them, what their goals are. You have an understanding of how to measure and track those goals, how to understand their progress, how to report that progress to the customer. Um, and then the other side of it is just getting the relationship right uh, from the beginning. Uh, you want your relationship with your customer, I think, to be as authentic as possible, as organic as possible, not to come across like this transactional sort of uh, thing, because you want the customer to feel very comfortable to tell you anything and everything. Like if they're thinking of leaving the company, you want them to tell you that uh, so that you can prepare for that. If they, if you think that there's budget cuts coming, you want them to tell you that. And if it's kind of transactional in nature, if it's a little less authentic, you're not going to get those kind of insider tips uh, if they do come about. And so you, you want to kind of feel like it's you're at drinks at a bar kind of relationship. Uh, and so just be yourself, be authentic, treat, you know, your customers as if like they're, you know, again, they're at the bar and getting a drink with you. And um, that starts during the onboarding process. That's so key. Actually, I have this joke with our, our sales team. If you move with a prospect over to text, you increase your win yes. rate. Tenfold. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Do you have any tips? And, and it's hard to coach this, right? We're, we're a training company. It's hard to coach how to build that rapport. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how to do that? Do you do that with your, I don't know if, if at Vitaly, for example, you use implementation managers or if it's more full stack. Any tips on building rapport with customers early on in that cycle? And also when you change hands, I'm assuming you change hands at some point, how do you continue that rapport building? I mean, you got to hire people that are that way, because I do think there are people that approach their job in a more sort of like, I have my work persona, and then I have my other, like my actual persona. And I think that people have the, clearly have the work persona, I always refer to them as like, you know, where's the off button on them? Like, you know, how do I, how do I actually know who you are? How do I actually hit the restart button so I can see who you actually are? Um, and so I think you want you to hire people that are just very authentic in the interview process, um, that come across as like an authentic, you know, they're authentic selves. Um, the, the other side of it is, um, I think, again, just get, I mean, encouraging the, the, the individual to, to learn about the individual, like, you know, connect with them on social networks, learning about their background, um, it, you know, getting them to like their posts that you know, the, the, the customer sharing online. Um, you, can, you, you want it to seem like, you know, the, the customer has acquired a new friend. Uh, and so going the extra mile to show that sort of not only support because now you're paying, you know, the vendor, uh, you know, you're actually getting a, you know, financial sort of benefit from the relationship, but, but doing the extra mile to showcase like that support outside of that financial relationship, I think goes a long way. It's a great soundbite. You want customers to feel like they acquired a new friend that's, that it's actually great. You screen for that. Uh, think about when you're screening, you, you don't want to look for, let's call it someone who's very process oriented. It's great at the implementation role, but they also are very genuine, likable. Yeah can uh, build relationships too. That's cute. Yeah. I mean, empathy, um, empathy is everything in customer success. And um, 
I, I think there are people that have genuine empathy and, and people that can try to force empathy. And I think it's easy to, to sense the forced empathy. And so people that have genuine empathy for, for the customer goes a long way to building that, building that relationship. Let's move to the next phase of the customer life cycle. Sure. So, and we, we even see this in MPS scores, right? During the honeymoon phase, they're great. Mm -hmm. Customers love you. They just, they just bought the platform. Like I was, I was just gushing, for example, buying Vitaly. So excited. You have great expectations. You're in implementation. And I think regardless of what service or offering you have, you then end up in what I, I call the messy middle, uh, which is like, okay, you're kind of in the slog of the relationship. Uh, that's when things get difficult. In this environment, you might have layoffs, shifting um, uh, uh, roles and titles. So tell us your best practices around this messy middle. And then also, what's the setup you, you like to suggest in this messy middle? Account mm -hmm. management, CSMs, COMs, uh, client outcomes managers like Gainsight does. We do that too. So give us mm -hmm. your take on this messy middle. Yeah, well, I think you, you, you've done a good job of uh, taking the first step in, in avoiding the messy middle and acknowledging this fact that it's typically messy. Um, I think a lot of people will only see that after the fact. So if you head into it thinking, okay, the middle is the toughest part, hopefully you, you can get ahead of it. I think the middle is typically the messiest because humans naturally get complacent. Like you want to make a good first impression. So you invest in the implementation, you invest in that initial relationship. And then once you've kind of checked that box off and the renewal is now like nine months out, it's easy to get complacent, kind of fall asleep at the will. And so making sure that you have a recurring process in place where you're continuously revisiting the customer's goals, you're continuously communicating progress, uh, you're, you're checking on whether they also change, whether you know, maybe you need to recommend new goals. You need to just really not fall asleep at the will, stay on the ball and ensure that like progress is continuously made and really that the goalpost continuously moves. Because if you do kind of check one box off and you don't have other ones to check, then you're naturally going to likely get complacent. Um, and one thing, I actually gave a talk a few months back on like uh, QBRs or actually we call it like killing the QBR. Because a QBR is typically, oh, um, yeah, well, it's a, it's a common thing that people do to try to avoid the messy middle, right? It's a recurring touch point with the customer. But I think it's too infrequent. I think it asks too much of the customer, at least the traditional PBR, because you're asking the customer to get on a call, schedule a call with a vendor to pull in extra stakeholders and the customer has like 20 vendors. And that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ask to give them. And so I, I gave a talk on uh, something I called an MVR, it's a monthly value review. I just made it up basically, but it was essentially creating like a, a notion document, like kind of template that you sent to the customer every month to remind them like when the renewal is, what the general sentiment is, what their goals are, what the progress is towards those goals. You're basically just continuously communicating value to the customer every month. So they're reminded that you're providing them value, uh, which I think is a good starting point of trying to shrink it down from like quarterly to, to monthly. Oh, we have to dive into the MVR. That's such a great acronym. And, and, and I'm guilty to say we do QBRs. Um, we, did, well. we, we did too. We did too. We did too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's double click into MVRs. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about how those are run. I get the notion doc, but yeah. tell us about the meetings. Sure. What, what kind of sentiment do you ask from it? What's the, all the way down to like the format? Let's yeah. hear more about it. Well, there's no meetings actually. It's uh, asynchronous. And so it's actually uh, shameless plug. We actually are moving it into our own notion, like kind of feature that we have called vitally docs. 
Uh, it's essentially, this is like a Notion document that's just powered by your customer data. It allows the customer to see data that you have in, in Vitaly and, and check off tasks that you have in Vitaly. Um, but uh, it's just essentially, I mean, if you are a founder of a company, you have to send monthly investor updates asynchronously, right? And I actually do this in Notion. And it's kind of that thought process, but with a customer, you're sending a recurring monthly update that is collaborative. You think the customer can go in there, they can make comments, they can fill out surveys that are maybe embedded in the document. Um, and it's actionable because you can use that data that is being automatically accumulated in the document to kick off automated workflows, to do asynchronous follow-up. I am a traditionally, I would say anti-meeting individual, but I think the meeting is the laziest solution to, prob uh, to a problem. Mm. Uh, it's, not, it's not always the incorrect or the correct solution. It's just the laziest solution. And so um, I, I like to try to push my team to find creative ways to collaborate asynchronously with a customer. And, and MVR was one way to do that over the traditional QBR. Wait, so I'm going to compare one of the things you said in onboarding to this concept and help me reconcile the two. So we sure. talked about relationship building. So mm -hmm. getting in front of the customer honeymoon period, that's important. But then we move MVR some more async, almost yes. feels less personal on the surface, yes. but how do you continue building the relationship if you're moving things more async? What's your recommended way to continue meeting with the customer? I'm assuming you're meeting with customers some, yeah. sometimes. What do you what do yeah. you suggest around the MVR? Well, it's not it's not like it's not it's not a, a situation where you just wouldn't have a meeting around it. I think it's a starting point, right? So you you move it to an asynchronous collaborative like UI, like our Vitaly Docs, like Notion, like Coda, something yeah. like that. And then you give the customer the option to have that meeting on top of it based on what they maybe put into the document. Um, because if you just start with, okay, let's have the meeting every month, I think you kind of get more towards the relationship being transactional because you've set up a recurring pattern. Like you know, if you want them to treat, treat somebody like your friend, I would imagine most people don't have friends where it's like every single you know Friday, uh, the first Friday of every month at like two o'clock, we're going to go meet at this place. Like you kind of do it a little bit more organically. So the MVR is a way to kind of almost get data, get evidence, get communication, like substance to facilitate meetings if they need to happen to facilitate more collaborative, more productive conversations in a meeting if they need to happen. And it's, 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 it's more, it's just data to educate if a meeting is necessary and if the customer even wants the meeting or not. That's cool. Okay, so I'll kind of ask you point blank too. This might help settle debate internally. We, we've always had a debate is, hey, are regular syncs a good thing for the CS function? We have a lot of, we, we call them COMs here at Workaround Client Outcome Managers. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of COMs who prefer having the monthly, weekly meetings. And you could say, no, yeah. you should get rid of those. Do you advise that to your clients or do you say, hey, do what fits your business? What's your, what's your suggestion? Or are you super opinionated on it? Get rid of recurring. Uh, no, I wouldn't say get rid of recurring. I mean, we do them, of course. Um, it, it, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that the, the customer isn't just an immediate friend you get. And so you have to, you have to build that trust over time. And you do need structure. Otherwise, it's easy to, it is easy to kind of you know, end up in a plot where you're never touching base with the customer. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a fine line to walk. I, I think you need to listen to the customer and understand what benefits them the best. Some customers want the meetings, need the meetings to hold not only themselves, but their large team accountable to making progress towards seeing value from the product. 
some are more independent, are, are more proactive on their own. They don't need the meetings to, in, to have that accountability. They can do the work. They can make the progress in their own time, on their own schedule, outside of those meetings. And that's where you maybe can, can fall back to looking at the data and figuring out creative ways to schedule ad hoc meetings to tackle unique challenges, creative things that come up. So if you want a, a universal rule, the easiest and safest choice is going to be have the recurring touch points. If you want to get really revolutionary, you can say no uh, recurring touch points. But again, it's, it, it depends on the person. There's just no one right answer for each customer because yep. each customer is going to function just differently and they're going to, they're going to want to work differently with your product. That's great. And so your, your take is ask the customer what their preference is, adapt to their mode of operation, build relationships with them regardless. In, in an ideal world, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. Let me talk about a topic that actually touches both the two topics we just talked about, onboarding and essentially CS slash account management is scaled CS. This is a, a hot topic these days. Um, we even internally debate on Hey, what's the segmentation line? What are the resources mm -hmm. heading towards it? Give us, I've heard hot takes. I've heard people kind of just go with the standard norms. Give us your take on skill CS as of uh, May, 2023. What would you say? <laughs> well, I mean, I think everybody has to be doing skill CS. Um, even those that are doing white glove CS or, or even in some ways doing skill CS because at the core of skill CS is efficiency and backing efficiency is automation. Uh, and everyone's customer success process, regardless of whether it's one-to-many, one-to-one, PLG, or anything in between, should be leveraging automation to automate the repetitive, automate the, the sort of like boring, the, the easy-to-complete task, and let it in, with an aim to giving your individual CSMs more time to focus on the creative, on the challenging, on the unique uh, solutions that require actual like you know, human touch, human thought. And so... Uh, I'm a big proponent of scale CS. We do it at Vitally. We're, of course, running it out of our own uh, Vitally instance. And, of course, powering that is our automation uh, to, to, to facilitate that. The, where I think teams can, can go to make missteps with scale CS isn't how they use the automation. I, I like to look at automation and the way that we do it with scale CS is personalized automation. And the opposite side of that is, is robotic automation. And so if the automation is robotic, if like, for example, I actually got an email literally today uh, from one of our vendors that we use, I'm not going to uh, name them, but it went to, it came from like a generic email address at the company. It clearly wasn't an individual. It was a polished HTML e email, but in it was talking about setting up a strategic session with like the team. And my thought was automatically archived. So it went into my like promotions or updates folder. Um, and we all have had bad experiences with like, bad automation, bad, you know, uh, automated support, bad automated customer success. And so if we think of that, what we're getting, you know, the, the prompts we're getting uh, to schedule these meetings are from a robot or from some automated system, we're not really incentivized to engage with it because we think we're going to go down a, a frustrating, you know, process that is not going to be efficient. And that's going to give us generic sort of like input or outcomes. And so look, think about it as like, how do you personalize your automation? How do you make it seem like it's one individual, you're just facilitating the sort of repetitive, the standard things they need to be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, that's, that's I, guess all, I guess that's all I got for now. <laughs> would you, 
when you're actually, I love that example. I remember in our early days of our, we use a VIP uh, Slack channel and we, and we, the only way we could kind of hack it, we were kind of on the earlier side of leveraging it for support, but we had, a, we couldn't figure out how to personalize Slack and actually have sure. people rotate in. And so we had to essentially use a shared account. Um, and people hated it. It's like, I just, I want to talk to a real person, not your logo. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's a, that's an immediate kind of visceral reaction you have is like, I do not right. want to talk to a logo. I want to talk to Sarah at WorkRamp. I want to figure yeah. out my problem here. Um, but you're spot on with that. On you, the can make a, you, can even, you can make them a fake employee, which I've, which I've yes. seen companies do. And actually, don't, I, I think it's like a, a, a fine idea. Like, have it be an actual, like, you know, since we were by, by, the, by the back end. But, you know, yeah, have it as like Sarah at WorkRamp.com. Even though if there's a Sarah at, at WorkRamp.com, it'll at the very least... I think increase re reply rates to whatever you're trying to get the customer to do. I, I, I use my wife's avatar, I think, on our website for the first five years of the company, uh, just as our as our fake uh, fake bot there. Yeah. Um, she let me borrow borrow her face for our website. <laughs> um, let me ask you about pitfalls of scaled CS. Sure. Have you seen it go wrong? Here's like an example. Have you seen people make the segment too big or understaff mm. it? Like what are the biggest pitfalls of scaled CS you see? Cause on paper it sounds great. Yeah. Boards would love it. It reduces your costs. What's, what's like a big pitfall outside of the personalization? Well, I think uh, making the automation robotic is certainly one or too robotic is certainly one because you're, you're investing a lot of human capital into something that doesn't really provide much impact and potentially can even degrade the, the customer experience because you're just bombarding the customer with like, email after email that they're auto archiving and, you know, they're further, while they're doing that, they're just basically getting a more negative uh, impression of, of the company. Uh, the other side of it, I think is people, they may be, they may be look at it purely from a like revenue perspective, but I mean, like how much the customer's paying you? Um, like, you know, if you're less than X dollars a year, you know, annual contract value, you're in scale CS, Otherwise, you're in high-touch customer success, um, which is an obvious way to segment uh, based on who, who gets scale CS or not. But you know, especially if you're in a PLG model, in that less than X dollars per year segment are those that have extremely high potential to become that next key logo, that next high-touch customer that you want. And so trying to layer in information about the business, about the potential of the business to become a truly, you know, known key logo for your business and going the extra mile with those and maybe breaking some of the rules of Scalcius for those uh, to try to encourage them and, you know, in increase the uh, potential that they become an actual like larger, potentially like six figure customer is key. So I think, you know, trying to figure out when you should break the rules with the Scalcius uh, threshold that you're looking at is, is key to, to, to driving more growth in that eventual like high touch uh, customer success segment. Yeah, that's a great way to identify. We obviously we we sell a customer education platform as well too, and we'll look at signals from hey, who's actually engaging heavily with the training content, and even pull them out out of the skilled CS org and give them even yeah. more personalized attention because you can see the signals. Hey, they want to learn more, and and the reps can even see that um, uh, directly in our Salesforce instance. Yeah. Okay. We, let me we, switch. We, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, we, we've done with automatic segmentation with manual segmentation. Like we use the data that we have to automatically segment the customers. And then on a recurring basis, we look through that scaled success segment, at least the new customers that are in it, 
we might manually, yeah, like pull somebody out of it and into a different segment and basically overwrite the data with human judgment because I we like know that. the potential that that customer has. I like that. Let's go to a topic that's top of mind for a lot of people in this economy right now is churn, down mm -hmm. sells. Um, it's, it's happening all around the board, especially in SaaS. It's easy to switch SaaS vendors these days, especially when you're looking to consolidate as an example. Give us your thoughts on the state of renewals and churn uh, right now. What are two, let's call one or two big things you would recommend to all SaaS companies that they should mm. be looking at when it comes to renewals and churn reduction? Mm. Well, you gave me uh, one of my answers early on in our chat, and it's focused on the messy middle um, and that relationship. Uh, I've seen so many customer success teams, you know, kick off the, 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 the relationship right, sleep in the middle, and then wait for the renewal to come about, schedule that like last second QBR, you know, a couple months before the renewal, all with an aim to get, you know, uh, to ask the customer basically, are you going to renew? And then they learn these surprising things like in the QBR, in the meeting uh, that might be turn risk. And then they have to like basically, you know, uh, shuffle like act quickly to try to overcome those and customers can see right through that like if if you are disengaged for a four month period and then only really engaged for the last couple months for the renewal customers see through that and that's going to further again potentially add to their their potential to churn so folks in the messy middle messy middle making sure that you're getting really innovative in those monthly checkpoints in that monthly sort of like recurring relationship making sure that the customers making progress towards those goals is is key so that you can continuously remind the customer that, hey, we're here for you. You're seeing value from the products and whatnot. Um, the, the other side of it, I think, is, and this is not something all customer success teams have control over, but I think now's the time just to get creative with, with pricing, especially if the churn is potentially economic related. Um, if the customer is, you know, being told by the CEO they've got to cut budgets. Like every, there's a lot of panic happening right now, and people are forgetting that markets go up and down. And sure, we're on the more downside than the upside right now, but there will be a, the upside coming soon. And you know, offering people three months, um, pushing the renewal out a little bit uh, to to put, try to put it back into a position where there's more of an optimistic outlook and we're more on that upswing. While of course leads to contraction, it's better than churn. And again, I would only do this again, if it's economic related, but um, uh, giving, giving the, the, the buyer a chance to, to get a clearer thought around the renewal process when the market's looking better than, than worse is, is something that will eventually, I think, pay off in the long run for the company. That's smart. It almost sounds like your second part of the answer is that can help short term, right? You could, you could teach yeah. your team how to how to negotiate better. You probably see some short-term wins there, but your, your first part of the answer, that question, answer to that question was, Hey, you really got to fix the, the, the fundamental problems. If you actually want to solve churn, which is really in the messy yeah. middle, maybe a little bit in the onboarding, but definitely in the messy middle, right? It's got to go hand in hand. You've got to get the data picture, the data profile that proves that the customer's getting value from the product. So that if then the CEO or, or somebody comes in and says, we got to cut costs, remove, you know, product X. You then arm your customer success buyer with two things. One, the data package uh, that proves you don't want to make this decision. You're getting so much value from the product. It's going to be absolutely devastating to your business if you just totally gut this 
you know, from your tech stack. And then two, we understand that you're in a tough spot. We'll work with you by buying, you know, giving you a couple of months and like, let's revisit in a couple of months when potentially the outcomes look a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, I love that. Keep it, keep it simple. I want to ask one quick question, then we'll head into the learn rapid fire round. The quick question I had for you is, and this is more on vitally on vitally, what's, and we talked about the whole customer life cycle, what's the most unique thing you would say vitally does for its clients that maybe, maybe other companies aren't doing today? The most unique thing that, well, I already talked about the MVR. What is it? The MVR? Cause I did just kind of create that a couple of months ago. Uh, and then our head of customer <laughs> Uh, literally heard my talk about, it and he was like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna actually do this. Not even tell him to do it. He just listened to the, the talk. And he was like, you know, we're gonna do this. So we're actually using again our docs feature uh, to replace the QBR and move it to an asynchronous monthly value review. I think that's that's pretty unique, and I'm hoping that you know it does pick up a little bit, uh, and others start to do it. Um, and we do have uh, you know, shameless plug. We do have an MVR template that uh, I can shoot your way if you're interested. So you can hit me up on like LinkedIn if you want. Um, we're, we're pretty creative communicators. Um, I am fairly anti-email when it comes to, uh, the customer engagement, because the thing you have to again, keep in mind is that the customer has dozens and dozens of vendors and all of those vendors also are emailing the customer. Other people that want to be vendors are also emailing the customer. And so I always push my team find new unique ways to engage the customer that doesn't rely on email. So we use dedicated yes, Slack connect channels with our highest value customers. We use our docs feature, facilitate asynchronous recurring engagement. We just started looking at in-app product tours and we're using it in a very personalized way. We're pushing, pushing very dedicated and unique tours to unique individuals at the point of them being in the product. So of course we do use email for some certain things, but we look at it more, the email is more of a customer marketing tool um, to just kind of promote, you know, product features, product updates and things like that, and less of something to facilitate the customer relationship. And to, to your point, as you said, if you can get, uh, if you can start like, you know, texting your customer, that's where you really, you know, yeah. done a good job. And, and I think that's, that's what we're all trying to aim towards. Like let's actually get to the point where we're comfortable enough to text the customer as a means of communication and or, engagement versus or versus email. So, so yeah. fashion, but getting a call from yeah. your new friend will make your day. So, well, Jamie, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm going to go into the learn rapid fire uh, section mm. here. This is just a couple minutes. I'm going to ask you a question and give me a one line answer for each. Um, first one I'm going to ask you is what's one podcast book blog you've learned the most from, or maybe you're, mm. you're currently reading. Uh, a few years back, I read a book called, I think it was called like Create Your Own Religion. I think it's got a subtitle of like a how-to book without instructions. Um, and it, you look at that book on the surface, you're probably thinking that might be a little bit of a, I don't know, controversial book. It's actually not. Uh, it's essentially a book that, that encourages you to not just accept common practices and processes and things because it's they're commonplace. It, it gets you to question how they got there, the motivations of how these things got into place and encourage you to kind of think without bias uh, uh, you know, as you approach your daily life and to approach things with more of a clean slate and not with the bias of like historical practices and, and processes that were maybe put in place that were maybe appropriate for a time, you know, way back when, but maybe aren't now. Great answer. Great answer. We'll have to check that one out. 
How about one topic? So if you could, if you, if you, let's say you're retired, you can learn one new topic or even mm. if you had free time now, what's one new topic you would try to learn? Uh, more on the human condition, I guess. Uh, I mean, I love, I love to understand people and, and why they do what they do. Um, a lot of people think of me as a little bit more of a robotic uh, individual than a human individual. And I like to think of, which I find uh, somewhat true. But I, I, I like to analyze the human condition and, and, and understand what it is that, that gets people, that gets individuals to do the things that they do. And so I probably just honestly study, like re read the books around, again, like human history, philosophy, things like that. Love that. Um, last one, I'm going to ask you, this is going to be related to your career. You've had a successful career. You've started Vitally. What's one big piece of career advice you would give the audience? Mm, make your own rules and uh, do the job that you want, uh, not necessarily the job that you have. I mean, if you are ambitious. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a rural south, uh, it, you know, surrounded by farm. Uh, and I learned that that was not what I wanted in my life. Um, and I continuously, you know, as I got older and older and, and became more of an adult, continuously tried to find ways to, to sort of break those constraints, break the rules that um, were differing and different from, from the individuals around me. And so, um, again, it kind of gets back to the book I recommended. Don't just do uh, the things, follow the processes that are surrounding you. Question them and find ways to make your own path uh, in life and to just be creative and practical with how you, how you approach your career. Hey, and that's why you're in New York City now, doing the exact opposite <laughs> of being surrounded by farmland. So nothing Jamie, wrong with it. nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we're, we're again, we're looking forward to rolling out the platform and looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.